This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, our brothers and sisters, to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our study in uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 32. We are at the end of Moses' final speech, his last words to the people of Israel. They're about to cross over into Jordan. We are about halfway through his song, uh, wrestling with some of the things that he says, the imagery that he uses, and trying to see if we can apply that to um, us as a people us as part of God's people today. Uh, we acknowledge that God is king. We acknowledge that the spirit is present, and we do so um, through prayer. So, Sister Jennifer, lead us in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to get together. We thank you for speaking to us through your word and through your servant today. We ask that you give us hearts to obey you and, and hearts to, to follow the words that you have already given us. We just thank you and we praise you for your strength to do this. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. So the notes are either online, uh, if you're uh, joining us in podcast land, and they're in the chat box for those that would like to follow. This is a summary of our discussions from last week. The last words of Moses, Deuteronomy. uh, 32 verses 1 to 18. The last act of Moses is to break into song. And we always knew he had it in him. The form of the song is like a psalm in that it uses the Hebrew style of parallelisms, which means each line of the song is paralleled or mimicked in theme by the following line. In the book of Psalms, the only psalm attributed to Moses is Psalm 90. And in that psalm, Moses uses, also uses imagery of the physical creation in describing God's character and his purpose. The song in Deuteronomy 32 assumes that Israel are already in the promised land, have succeeded in the conquest, and now have fallen into idolatry. Thus, this final portion of the last words of Moses is heavily prophetic. The Song of Moses became very important during the Second Temple period. Josephus wrote that the Song, chapter 32, was kept on a separate document from the rest of the scroll in the Temple. Similarly, the Dead Sea community also maintained the Song in a separate form. These accounts witness to chapter 32 having some form of liturgical use in the Temple and in some Jewish communities. The words of the Song have become have some similar sounds, making memorization an encouraging option for the worshipper. God had made a covenant with his people and thus could not be a witness himself to the covenant as he is a partaker of it. Moses, in the previous chapter, appealed to heaven and earth to be covenant witnesses. The song opens, requesting heaven and earth now to hear the words of Moses. In Jewish tradition, creation is sentient, not in the form of a sentient deity, but in the concept that it is alive. A dead thing would make for a poor witness. Paul says that creation groans for its redemption. The earth reacts to sin and human behavior and is loved by God, for God so loved the world. 
Now creation acts as witness to the covenant and listens to the last words of Moses. God is often described using the metaphor of a rock, something which is materially solid, steadfast, and consistent. There certainly is a lot of rock in the land of Israel from which to draw meaning and inspiration. Traditionally, the rock that produced water had been accompanying the people of Israel during the wilderness wanderings and was most likely still visible to the congregation. Verse 4 also declares that all God's ways are justice. Some translations in English read just, but actually the Hebrew word is mishpat, which indeed means justice. In parallel with the previous sentence, all God's ways are perfect, and they lead to justice. The next sentence declares that God does no wrong. He is upright and righteous. Well, this begs the theological paradox. What about the killing of entire nations or not forbidding slavery or having nothing to say about multiple wives? How do these things square with the declaration that all his ways are perfect or that God does no wrong? These are good questions and we should never seek to ignore the issues. Scripture does not seek to offer an apology for God's actions. Rather, Scripture declares that the actions of God, however they are viewed, always lead to justice. God is called Father for the first time in the Torah here in verse 6. The description of God as Father precludes any biological relationship. Instead, the relationship is spiritual, relational, and theological. Thus, other terms such as son of man and son of God are similarly not biological in nature. Other interesting theological subjects in this song include the need to maintain generational memory. That is, each generation needs to maintain a relationship with the past. Failure to observe history often leads to a repeat of history. God is said to have given the borders and boundaries to all nations of the world. If God defines borders, then what does that say about our continual desire for unification and the dismantling of boundaries? The world's desire to move and change boundaries usually ends in disaster. The song also describes the desert experience as a place where God guarded and nurtured his people. While in the wilderness, Israel only knew the Lord and idolatry was far from them. Unlike what occurs once the dust of the conquest has settled, there was a blessing in the wilderness for there were no other gods there. Verse nine describes Jacob as a rope and an inheritance of the Lord. Most translations do not include the word rope revealing that, once again, all translation is interpretation. How is Israel a cord or a rope? They were meant to be a bridge between heaven and earth, a light to the nations and a bringer of the God of heaven to the Gentiles. Unfortunately, the Song of Moses prophetically recalls that success led to failure. Israel is poetically named Yeshurun, only in this song and once in Isaiah. Jeshurun, Yeshurun, and Yisrael both descend from the same root, Yashar, 
for straight or upright. It's a poetic irony to label Israel as the upright one when the passage immediately refers to theological and moral failure of the people into idolatry. God had, has become jealous, an emotion that is not a sin to have. Yet the song describes it as Israel that has abandoned the rock and not that God has done the abandoning. God does not let us go from his mighty hands. Rather, it's our foolish desire to leave the relationship and forget our first love. Heaven protect us from such foolishness. Summary from last week, which means we pick up the other half of the song of, the, of, uh, of Moses, which is um, from verse 19. So we will read and study tonight verses 19 to the end of the song and the small bit of commentary after, which will be to verse 47. All right, so I'll read, and I'm reading from an ESV. The Lord saw it, and he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have promoted me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are of no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger and it burns to the depths of Sheol. It devours the earth and its increase and it sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them. I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall bereave, and indoors terror. For young man and woman alike, the nursing child and the man of grey hairs. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory, had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversaries should misunderstand, lest they should say, Our hand is triumphant. It was not the Lord who did all. Was it? It was not the Lord who did all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight, unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock, our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for, all, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. When he sees that their power is gone, 
and there is none remaining, bondle-free. Then he will say, where are their gods, the rock in which they took refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold in judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with them, O heavens, and bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua, the son of Nun, And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words with which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land, that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Wow. All right. Okay, guys. So, as is part of our tradition, on an initial surface reading, what jumps out there, guys? What is it that you've, you've noticed bef- before or you've never noticed until this reading? Or is there something there that always comes up? I, I just experienced the verse 19 and 20 this past week because I went to visit my daughter who's married kind of a, a narcissist guy and he stopped us from visiting her. So it was quite the trip. That's why I missed you guys last week. But okay. anyways, it's very powerful here that just the concept there in verse um, uh, verse 39 really stands out. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal. And no one can deliver out of my hand. You know that God is God and nobody else is. And nobody else can set themselves up as God. You know, it's uh, he doesn't want us to have any idols. You know, he's jealous of that. Very much so. Yep. There's actually not many sentences in the Bible where, where it says there are no other gods. There's a few. But there's not many, but there's definitely one here where, um, you know, during the Exodus, God says, I will have judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And if you just read that literally, you would think, oh, it's a clash of gods, right? There's lots of different gods. Our God's bigger than your God. There's lots of gods. Let's pick one. Um, But eventually you get to a stage where God turns around and says, no, really, there isn't anybody else. Uh, there's, There's just me. I guess a couple things. It doesn't talk about teshuvah, about returning, about the like they're repenting. Right. And it also doesn't talk about exile. It talks many times you have other, uh, in other uh, places in the Bible, in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, it talks about um, about going into exile, and uh, right. it doesn't talk about that. Yes, it mentions other nations, but it doesn't 
doesn't say that you've actually left the land per se. God has, Moses has warned Israel in previous chapters that this is going to happen, but the actual song itself, you're right, does not mention that. So um, uh, a, a lot of commentaries, when you, when you read the, this section, they, many of them will say that this is actually not written by Moses because it, it, it's, it's not mentioning exile. It seems to be written by people who are back in the land, uh, have fallen away. It seems like it's a second temple period um, thing. Um, so you, you either take it like the traditionalists, like us, I guess, where it's prophetic, you know, Moses is speaking prophetically, yet there's no mention of um, exile, as we would know. And, yeah, you're right. There also doesn't seem to be a, a mention of Teshuvah. How does the song actually end? What's God actually going to clean and make holy? He's going to, well, his name. Okay. Yep. He's going to make his names, make sure that no one dishonors his name. Very clear with that. He's going to make sure that he protects his people so that they can't say, we did this and there's no God. Right? He's going to, yeah. I mean, his, his, his people's land. Correct, Stephen. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the song, which is very interesting and it's linked to that, we don't, we're not talking about repentance here. The, the end of the song is, I will cleanse, cleanse the people's land, right? Remember, the whole scene that we're talking about is you're going to cross into Jordan. It's currently inhabited by the, the, these uh, uh, people whom the Bible has said their sin is now full, right? The iniquity of the Amorites mm-hmm. is now full. They've done something to the land. They've stained the land, and we've got to go in and clean it. And, um, and then... Well, once we've done that, instead of learning from their mistakes, we're going to do exactly the same thing. And, <laughs> and, and the land's going to get very upset, as Leviticus says, he's going to spew the people out. And then God says, well, now I'm going to let my land have a rest. I'm going to cleanse my land. So it is a very interesting song. That is, it does talk about the people. Absolutely. It does talk about God. Absolutely. Um, but it also talks about the land. Um, and it ends with... Um, uh, a, a description of uh, of the land, because the the land is the inheritance of Israel, and Israel is the inheritance of God. Which is an interesting little series of relationships. Right, anything Aaron? else? Yep. Aaron. Ah, Connie. Yes. Hi. So, in verse thirty nine, when he says, "I am He." And he uses that when Moses goes to Pharaoh, say, I am who I am. Would this be the same name that he is using, um, confirming what he is saying to Israel in this song? Um, Okay. Ruataki ani ani hu. Amdai. So it says, so um, see now, okay, see right now, ki ani ani, that's, that's the way there's no punctuation in Hebrew. So when you double something, that's for emphasis. Yes. Okay. So, you know, uh, this is where, where he says, I, you know, or in English we go, even I, but it, but it literally means, you know, like me, the only one up here, and he who I am, he, 
it's not it's not the same it's the same because because uh, it, it doesn't actually have the name of god it just says he um uh, it is very interesting. And there's no other gods that stand next to me, which is an interesting way of describing it. You know? uh, so, yeah. And that, that, that sentence also brings in some interesting theological uh, discussions. I kill. Right? Ooh. <laughs> you know? um, wow. It's a, you know, what sort of God do you have? Oh, he's a very powerful God. Hey, he kills people. And well, uh, so, yeah. he's sovereign. He's sovereign is the best way to say it. <laughs> yes, of course, of course. Of course. Not us. He yes. doesn't check with us in the 21st century if it's okay if he carries on with his will. <laughs> <laughs> well, fact, that's right. Because if he did, I'm sure he would have been voted out by committee. You know, so. <laughs> the passing vapors and the passing uh, winds don't get much say in the way the world works. <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, <laughs> but it but it is an interesting thing, and and I'm. The, these texts are here and they're timeless and they're there for a reason. And in our modern age, there, there are many believers who, and secular people, who wrestle with these sentences, right? Because we have made God in our image and we've made God uh, be like us and, uh, and our definition of goodness, justice and righteousness, we then turn around and apply to God. Forget, forgetting it's actually the other way around. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's the mistake we make from kind of the secular humanist worldview versus right. the Christian worldview where God is the center. We don't start from man. We start from him and yeah. then understand the world. But don't you guys find the Ecclesiastes 3, it relates to that so much. You know, there's a time for everything, a season for everything under heaven. You know, yep. the, the time to die, a time to be born, a time to heal, a time to tear down. And it's just so interesting that, wow, yeah. you know, my hands are open, God, if this is a time to tear down, like even in our family unit, for example, okay? And yep. it's just like, okay, and we all have to learn and live. And, you know, yep. it's just, Jen said so profoundly one time when we were chatting before as a group that, you know, they're working on their testimony, yeah. <laughs> our relatives. But it's just funny how <laughs> things happen and you'd say, oh, this is not really ideal, is it? Like, no. You guys remember the psalm and, of course, the Boniem song, By the Rivers of Babylon? Okay, you know, beautiful psalm, beautiful song, By the Rivers of Babylon, yeah. And it said, no one, no one, no one ever mentions the last sentence. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We love that psalm. It's fantastic. Until we get to the pick that says we pick up babies and smash them on the rocks. We're like, right. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, now you were doing really well, David, until you wrote that. <laughs> okay. I'm having words with you in the new world. Okay. But um, it, it is interesting. All right. These, this is scripture and we need to wrestle with it. We, we mustn't run away from the the tensions that are in the text because that's where we learn we learn about god and we we learn mm -hmm. about ourselves and um and our humbling it's it's humbling to acknowledge that we don't understand god because he's <laughs> god <laughs> and we have to also humble ourselves and say lord you know you teach me what justice is you, you teach me what humility is and and i'll go do it and, and you teach me what true love is, and I'll go do that too. Um, you know, well, uh, Jesus' great, great, great sentence. Um, love as I have loved you. 
right? And it's like, you know, you want to see what love is? Well, I've, I've showed you, now go go do. And it's um, it's always God showing us his character and, and his, his, um, well, his way. The one thing about I kill, and, you know, you talked uh, last week about contrast, how he parallels. God just loves to do contrast, it seems. Um, and in this case, that I kill, but I also make a lie. Mm-hmm. I'll wound you, but I will heal. Yep. And, uh, you know, neither is there any that can deliver out of my hands. So there's the security element present. So it, in other words, you can't, you can't get lost. I got you. Yes. <laughs> and I can do, I can do anything to you. <laughs> and yes. There's a, there's a comforting and scary element, both at the same time. That fear of the Lord is both an awe and a fear. And both of those are healthy mm-hmm. for us as humans. Okay, so let's let's look at uh, into the text and um, and wrestle with the stuff. And um, and whenever we want a, a, a question from, if you ever wanted to uh, know what a rabbi thinks about this, Mordecai's present study. So we'll just throw him a, throw him a question as well. Okay, and uh, okay, so verse nineteen. Here, uh, in context, we're, we're talking about um, idolatry, that Israel has unfortunately entered idolatry. That's the big sin of the first temple period. It's not the big sin of the second temple. That um, ends up being money and greed. But, but in, the, in the first temple period, it was, it was false gods. And, uh, and it says in verse, six, um, verse 19, the Lord saw it. And, 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 it, and it created a reaction in him. Okay? He saw it and um, he, he spurned them. He, it, 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 there was a reaction where he couldn't be close to them anymore uh, because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. So it describes yeah. a relationship. There's a relationship. Remember, remember this is the first time in, in this chapter Verse 6, this is the first time we've used the word father. We're in, a, we're in a relationship with God, and we're called sons and daughters, and there's an emotion that's now attached to this relationship, and somehow humans have hurt God. Isn't that a very interesting thought, that a, that a human could hurt God emotionally? He was angry. He was jealous. He's he's hurt, and he's, he's um, the relationship is now rocky, and it's and it's not all delightful and happy. And so there's a reaction in verse twenty. I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom there is no faithfulness. Okay, so what are some of the tensions in that text? Something very interesting about hiding the face um, is that the same thing he, he, he said in, in uh, Exodus 17, where the Israelites, they say, is God, is Hashem among us? Is he, is he with us? That was with the, the striking of the rock at Meribah. Right. So because the same concept he also they also say in in deuteronomy 
31, 17, then my anger will be kindled against them. I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured. 18, I will surely hide my face in that day because of all of the evil that they have done because they have turned their face. In a sense, they have also turned their 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 panim, their their panai, whatever they have, they have, they've turned. So God's turned. So it's amazing because it's again, it's that measure for measure. I think it's so um, prevalent in this song in, in Deuteronomy. You just thirty, you know, this this uh, the song of of Moses. You have the measure for measure, just like he says, "I'll lift up." Um, well, I won't go into that one, but but uh, this measure for measure. So since they have turned away, God has turned away. And um, yeah, it's like a response to their behavior, right? And it's and then it echoes it echoes Exodus at the rock. Is God among us? You know what, what's going on? So. That's right. When the relationship breaks, the, and then part of the the result of the relationship is this thing where we say God is hiding His face. But isn't it interesting? It does say, "I will hide my face." What's the very next sentence? see what their end will be yeah i'll hide my face but i'll still see so how does that happen right so hiding your face does not mean god's not paying attention but having his face towards you has some aspect of the relationship that is beneficial but with and that doesn't mean that god doesn't see doesn't mean that God's not paying attention. Doesn't mean that God's not, is not listening. Doesn't mean that God is not caring. But there is this very interesting um, biblical metaphor for the face of God. Now, of course, let's ask the question, can anyone stand before the face of God and live? And the answer is, right, no. Yet at the same time, there are those people in the Bible who have been with God face to face, and you think, "Hang on, how are you? How how are you doing that?" Because you know, I remember um, uh, Stephen. They, they, he goes, he's our to, um, token Lutheran here. Um, uh, you know, the sort of Martin Luther idea that um, we're all so miserable, and if I dared walk into the presence of God without the blood of Jesus, I'll just disappear in a puff of smoke. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hangover yeah. Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, and the Catholic, that sort of idea too, which is um, not a Jewish view because the Psalms are constantly saying, Lord, let your righteousness fall on me. Well, if God's righteousness was so destructive and explosive, what the heck am I doing calling for it? Right? Mm -hmm. um, there's this tension that for a brief moment, but brief is a, is a relative term. The relationship had been broken. Hurt had come in. People are emotional. God is emotional. He's angry, jealous. Now, just because he has emotions, he's more in control of his emotions than you and I are. But he, he chooses to hide his face. And many times in our prayers, we often say things like, Lord, let your face shine towards me. Like, turn your face towards, as though, as though he's not looking. He is looking. But we understand that there's a, there's a special um, restored relationship. There's a special blessing. There's a special element of God's power when he indeed directs his countenance or face towards you. And what is the, the ironic benediction? What is well, the blessing? The reason why, though, 
it's because they are perverse generation children who are right. So it's not the same thing as trying to meet with God. Like Moses wanted to meet God face to face. Correct. This is the opposite. These guys are this is. brats and they yep. need to be disciplined. <laughs> yep. Sort of. No, that's, that's true. Absolutely true. The, re the reason God is hiding his face is not his fault, it's our fault. But the blessing that we want when God, when God says to, to Moses, tell Aaron, this is how you bless the people, what's the ironic benediction? Yeah. It does. It does. It says the, the blessing is may you turn your face towards you. And, and in so doing, it'll give you peace. And, uh, and so there's this, there's this uh, a strong sense of the, of the true peace of God occurring when, yes, God sees you all the time, but when he is deliberately turning his face towards you, whatever that means. But it's Aaron? incredibly powerful, Aaron. and it's packed with a warning here in this prophetic section if he hides it from us. Go, Connie. Yeah, Aaron. Shalom, everyone. Uh, in verse 20, it, it's, it's talking as if, um, uh, because it, it was warning the people about what is going to happen, but it, it has a connotation as if God has already said it. Yeah. Yeah, because this is a warning that of what's going to come in the later end. But he's saying, he said, I will hide my face, my countenance from them as if God has already said it. That means ish. Some of setting is going to happen, and this is what God's going to do. It's, yep. it's very it, it, it's true. Um, the, even though in biblical Hebrew you don't quite have past and present like we do in modern Hebrew, the, the Hebrew here is past. It, it's a, it's a, it's a past tense. He has said, and you think, oh well, I've had that work out. Yeah, it's it's an interesting point. It's it's prophetic, and yet it's also timeless because it's talking about future and past all at the same time. Which is very interesting. Connie, you were on mute when you were trying to talk. And you're still on mute. Uh, nope. There. Nope. Haven't been able to unmute? Okay. Now oh, I'm... I'm Okay, so I was I brought this up last week because I was looking into um, Psalm 74 where Israel asked God, how long are you going to reject us forever? That was their question to him in, the, in verse 1. So with this God turning his face from them, um, you understand why, because of their sin nature, and then they look at it as a rejection. Right. So since Israel looked at it as rejection and God just looked at it as I turn my face from you and I'm spurning you and the, the cursing is coming upon you. Um, kind of go, how does Israel look at that? Cause if you look at Psalm 74, that's just one example. They were looking at, why are you doing this to us? But yet God already told them here in verse 32, Deuteronomy, this is why I'm doing it to you. And he warned them over and over again. This is why, but yet they question that you're rejecting us. So kind of play with that rejection versus, excuse me, versus um, turning my face again. Yeah. With turning his face seems to, and it's cause it's linked with uh human rejection of God, not God's rejection of humans, right? Uh, it might look like the same result, but, but it's from, from a very different source. Um, and, more, and more details. 
sorry, Aaron. More details are in verse 21, but they made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. So right. it's not that they don't know what they're doing wrong. They're willfully seeking other idols instead of their God, their king, their righteous. Right. God. Yes, verse 21 highlights it out, why God is jealous. Um, and it's idolatry. It's, it's this unfortunate issue. And this is also the reason why, guys, in the New Testament, um, much of Paul's writings is against idolatry, right? Because, because the pagan world, the, the, the new Gentile believers were bringing into the household of faith their attachment to idols. And um, Paul's got a long tradition of you do not want to do this. You have no idea how, how bad this is. It's not just bad for you. It's bad for the relationship. And when God hides his face, he withdraws his blessing somehow. And that is not what you want. And so it's the Corinthians, he, he handles them down. Uh, many sections of Revelation talk about, you know, your constant love of idols, stop it, um, uh, and, and, and here. And I think if, I'm, if we dare get personal, then we will probably all admit that our cultures today are obsessed with idols. Oh, yeah. uh, we've made a whole slew of new gods. And my gosh, are they hard to defeat, right? Um, they're, they're everywhere. They're insidious. And if you dare attack them, uh, the culture comes to their defense and they, they attack you back. Um, and, and they use words like, well, you don't believe in justice. And you're incredibly intolerant. And you're, you know, you're just a racist. Oh, my gosh. You know, you say anything and you're a racist. It's the most amazing thing. Um, you walk out your front door, racist. You know, it's like, uh, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's interesting. Say it again, Shimshon. They, they also say haters. They'll call you a hater. A hater, yeah. A fascist. Here, you've got to be a racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know how we, yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible, what an incredible world we live in. Okay. It's interesting because the opposite is actually true, right? It's your sins that are separating you from God. Yeah. Right? So it's yeah. Yes, that's right. And it's always, that's right. The opposite is true. We did this to ourselves. Um, I'm reminded uh, looking at, we've just had an election for those of you who have been um, following or not following, because don't worry, we'll do it again in six months. Um, the, uh, this, this country, which they say is racist, right? We're, we're an incredibly racist country, in case anybody didn't notice. Um, uh, it looks like the Islamist party could be the deciding factor of our future government. How's that for a racist country? Yes. Yeah. Can you believe that, Mozi? No. <laughs> well, uh, what Aaron said is uh, right. We might have another elections because... I just opened my mailbox today and I found this it's a little bit too late or is it too early? I don't know. You decide. <laughs> my mailbox. I'm like, damn, I just voted yesterday. What, what the heck is wrong with this country again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's for the next election, Mordecai. You can vote next in a, in a couple of I, I better keep it. <laughs> you better we, keep have it. Worse problems. we have much worse problems in the U.S., so yeah, be happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's, 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 um... All right, so turning back to the text, we have a situation where 
let's acknowledge it. it's it's our sin, Israel's sin in this in this case, idolatry, hurting God. He's emotional too. There's a reaction. The reaction is a withdrawal of blessing, known as the hiding of face. Um, and then there's a little bit more. Verse 22, a fire is kindled. Once you get God angry, that's not good news. And, uh, and where does it burn? It burns even from the depths of Sheol. It uh, is encovering, encompassing all of uh, creation. It devours the earth and it sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. Very poetic language which describes um, how angry that God is. So what's the result? And the result is not individual punishment where we go one by one and we work out who's the bad guy and who actually loves God. What does it happen? I will heap disasters upon them. I will send my arrows on them. They will be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisoned pestilence. I will send the teeth of beasts against them and with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors, the sword will breathe indoors. Terror, young men, women alike, nursing child, and the man of grey hairs. Ooh. What does this sound like, guys? Sounds amazing. <laughs> Can I say something about this very quick? Yeah. So Aaron knows that I just start to teach uh, with an American guy, and we are teaching to... Bulgarian Turks, okay, like the Turks who live in Bulgaria. So we were teaching today about all these, you know, so-called Old Testament laws, blessings and curses, cursings. And there was this guy asked uh, to the pastor, the, the other American guy, oh, why do I have to care about those? You know, God say, oh, I will do this to them. I will do this to them. You know, this book was written for Israelis and this all is their problem, not my problem. So, and that American pastor, uh, which, you know, he's a very wise man, he told him, Israelis, Israelites, or Bene Israel, uh, were the subject, you know, the test subject, you know, this mouse that they use it always, they, they put uh, vaccines in it and something in it. So, Israelis were and are symbolizing all other nations of the world. So God wrote these things for them, but it just doesn't mean that this applies to us only. This applies to everyone. That's, that's why uh, what Aaron said is right, because we have to find messages from this. This is not only for the Israelis or Jews. We shouldn't read this book as it is, you know, just as a nice book. We are spending good time with... Uh, two guys from Israel, we are having fun. No, but this was written for Israelis, but it's symbolizing for, and it applies for everyone. Yep. yep. Maybe not as it is, you know, God probably won't send fire or something, but it's uh, 100% applies to all of us. And we, yeah. if you look carefully, we can find at least two, three things that would apply to our very life now in 2021. Yeah, and if I could say something in response to that, that there is a whole movement in the United States that believes that 
in replacement theology because Jesus came, we no longer have to obey any of the commands. Right. And, you know, I do not believe that's to be true, but there is, I would have to say that most of the church in the United States believes that you no longer have to keep God's commandments. So that's what you're fighting. And that's the, that's the issue you might have to address there. Start, start back from square one. Yes, we do have to obey these commands. Yeah. uh, Mordecai, I, we, we all hear uh, the uh, frustration that, that happens when you encounter, especially from the Arab world, Christianity, Turkish Christianity. So take courage, brother. Not alone. We're all, we're all. No, I mean, I don't care what they believe. I do care as a human being and as a, you know, a, someone who is trying to become a preacher, right? But if they start wrong, they will go wrong. And I'm not trying to make someone pro-Jewish or pro-Israelis. It's, it's your life. You do whatever you, whatever you think that fits, fits for you to do. But that is, you know, this is what it is. Either we like it or not like it. I, I sometimes find it so hard to understand or I sometimes find it so hard, hard to obey. But this is God's, God's word, you know. We are not talking about Amazon or Google, right? As they were always addresses. But it's hard. Yeah. But yeah. God has to do that. Jesus himself obeyed the law. Absolutely. And he set a higher standard. He yeah. said, you've heard it said, you know, not to have, you know, sex outside of marriage. But I tell you, if you think about it, you've done it. So he actually yeah. set a higher standard. I wish he hadn't yeah. said that. That would have been fine. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like. yeah. Uh, and again, because of this long um, tradition of um, replacement theology, um, it's it made a lot of people to begin to um, cut away the, the Torah and the, what we call the Tanakh today, and they call it Old Testament. And um, and most people will say all those things are not important anymore, and um, they teach that in many churches. And it's sad because um, the foundation of everything you read in the Brit of the Shah is found in the um, in the Tanakh. I mean, without it, you cannot build. You cannot build anything. And Yeshua himself warned the people. He said, don't think, don't even say it. He said, don't even think it that I've come to abolish the Torah. Don't think about it. People are not even thinking about it. They are saying it. And it's very dangerous. Yeah. Speaking of that, and I've never visited Nigeria. Tell us, Shimshon, is replacement theology big in the churches in Nigeria amongst our brothers and sisters there? Yes, yes, it, it's very big, and even in some um, evangelicals that tries to still relate with some aspects of the Old Testament, they still flutter because many times they come out and say, especially if what the principle of the teaching doesn't fit into their theology, they just cancel it out immediately. Uh, it, it's very big, it's very big. If you try to tell them a lot of these things that... Um, if you don't understand it, doesn't mean it is not important. Just pray that you understand it. And um, that um, my, my, all my argument is that I don't think um, God himself was idle and he created a, a law. And one day woke up and said, oh, uh, this is not important anymore. I think I made a mistake. And let's, let's start something afresh. No, God did not make a mistake. He, he knew what he was doing. He knew he has to progress with us. Uh, unfortunately, it is very big here in Nigeria. People still I, I do tell you the reason, you know, I tell you why they do that. That's what I feel. 
So let's let's be honest. This book was written like five, six thousand years ago, and we cannot take it letter to letter to apply to our lives. It's impossible. It's old. Okay. So because there, that's why we have the Bilt Chadasha. You know, if the Old Testament was great, so there would be no New Testament. So it was. It, it's it's not over, but I'm just coming to point. So you, nobody, as a Jew, I cannot take it to, into my life directly. But this is a book, and a book of people who had made mistakes, who had experienced a lot of things. And God is using this to warn other people. You know, when we read a book about stock market or like uh, Bill Ackman or Warren Buffett, and when we read, ah, oh, Warren Buffett was a poor guy in New Jersey and he started Moti Weberman High. We don't say, oh man, I have to go to New Jersey and I have to start that school. Nobody says that. Why we read those books? Because we want to take their experiences and just put it in our way and apply it to our lives. So this is it. So you can read it and you can find something that applies to your life. You don't have to do, I mean, nobody can do it as it was. So that's pretty much it. There is no need to replace, uh, I mean, I don't know how you call it, like replace theology. Maybe that's that's why they do that. They say, oh man, Old Testament old, nobody can apply it, so let's do this. No, yes, of course it's old. Of course it was written in the wilderness for a slave nation, you know? They didn't even have anything. So they, that's why they started from very beginning. They start to write all the laws down, all these are cleaning, so we, we all wash our hands now, right? But at that time, it was important. So it doesn't mean that we have to keep copy and paste into our lives. Yeah. yeah. I, got, I just want to say something encouraging for people. Go right ahead, Shimshon. All right, Monica, when, when we talk more about the replacement theology, it was a concept that was um, sold out in the early church that um, God has done away with Israel, and the church, in quotes, is the new Israel, and um, God okay. is done away with the Jewish people. Okay, okay, let's let's say God is done. You can still read the book. You can still take some, you know, experiences to your life. Let's say God is done with me. Okay, I'm sorry. You know, it's okay. I'm okay. I don't take offense with it. <laughs> it's a good book, no. man. Just read it. It's free. Ten dollars. <laughs> now, the, 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 the catch to that is. All the laws in the Old Testament were meant for the Jews or the yeah. Israelites. Now we we have only the laws that are now in the New Testament. So that is the real catch That's to that um, concept. I was just telling you. So I want to just add something positive here: that we do acknowledge that uh, there is this element of the church which has deemed that is replaced, and and within that theology attempts to stop reading the Hebrew Bible. We acknowledge that, no, the Hebrew Bible is timeless and it does speak not just to Israel, it speaks to us. We've been learning some amazing things uh, as we've been going through these last words of Moses. But in terms of its encouragement, we all have the ability to reveal how God speaks through his word, and that includes Hebrew Bible. It's coming up to Passover. And, of course, People will say, look, Passover was given to the Jewish people. You know, we're done. But there is a blessing for Gentiles to also celebrate Passover, is it not? I bet I, I can. I, you're going to celebrate Passover down there, aren't you, Shimshon? Yes. 
Absolutely, absolutely. We've been preparing. <laughs> Excellent. And that's amazing. Can you believe it? Nigerian Africa is going to celebrate Pesach. Now, that's incredible. I have a brother in, uh, we have a brother. Sometimes he comes to this uh, service, uh, this Bible study, when he's um, uh, supposed to be at work. <laughs> uh, but uh, in, and in his community, which is Assemblies of God, they're going to have, he said, his last count was 29 people for Passover. So, you know, that is, he's been slowly reaching out within his community. And there you go. In North Dakota, in a small town of no more than 1,000 people, okay, um, 30 people are going to gather and have Pesach. And that's just the start. They will experience a blessing. Next year might be 50. You know, and then before you know it, 10% of a small town in the middle of nowhere might celebrate Pesach. And so there's a blessing, and, uh, and we should encourage that. But going back to the text, I want, I want to, and, and it's all linked to everything that we've been talking about. When God is getting jealous and angry, and he's ready to bring uh, the result of withdrawing his face, and there's going to become judgment. Who's the judgment on? Everyone. The sinners. <laughs> Rega, not just sinners. The ones that made an idol. Incorrect. Okay. Which verse are you looking at here? Uh, with the ones we read, verses 23, 24, and... Uh, yeah, it says the fire will devour the earth. Yeah. I will heap my disasters upon them. I will, uh, I will waste them with hunger. There'll be plague and pestilence. Peace of, uh, there'll be beasts, venom, sword, terror. On who? Young men and women alike. Okay. Young men, women alike. And who else? Nursing children. Sorkling and the aged. Yeah. That's corporate punishment, people. Okay. What did the baby do? Did the baby engage in idolatry? <laughs> <laughs> Psalm says they're born in sin. in sin. My mother conceived me, so they're not in. Well, that 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 means that no matter what happens in the earth, everybody just deserves it. Okay, we have a we have a, a, a tsunami flood. Two hundred thousand Japanese people just get get wiped away. Don't feel sorry for them because they're all born in sin. No, That's... not at all. No, not at all. It's just what the scripture says. It's your Bible, no. too, Aaron. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> what we need to do, guys, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, Sharon, is we yeah. need to get away from Protestant individualism, which thinks that God just punishes individuals only on the last day of judgment. Um, or there's, when we do a sin it if, or do something wrong, it affects not just us. Uh, the community. It affects the community, yes. But what if the community did worship idols in this case? Like, why are you saying Well, that it's, it's not saying that everybody did. Okay. Well, he's punishing it, everybody, so they must have. Well, are you saying that all 100% of Israel engaged in idolatry? I have no idea, but he's saying... Right, that's not what it means. But the punishment is, is, is universal. And, and, it, and, it, and we all have experiences like this. Let's just say I'm driving my car and I drive recklessly and my kids are in the car. Is it their fault we have a car accident? No. But they're going to suffer the punishment. Yeah. And so 
It's a, and, and so there is a burden of responsibility upon leadership. There is a burden of responsibility upon the priesthood. There is a burden of responsibility on heads of households. And, um, and so we all, we all get it. Would you, uh, Moti, you got a comment? Yeah, but God is so fair. If you remember the Israelis with this golden cow, when Moshe came down from the mountain, God didn't punish all Israelis. He only punished 3,000 men. Sure. So God is fair. So there is nothing to be afraid of. But we better watch out. as <laughs> well. <laughs> That's part of the point of like the book of Daniel, isn't it? Daniel and his friends are righteous men who are going into exile because of the sins of the leadership. Yes. And then, uh, and then Ab Abraham interceded for Lot. Will you, will you kill the righteous uh, with, with the righteous, with those that are unjust? Yeah. And so the intercession, but he, but, but uh, he didn't do that with the son on the Akedah. He could have, he could have talked to God, yeah. you know, one was his, his lot, his cousin, but then at the Akedah, he, he, uh, he could have, you know, wrestled with God. Like this seems like child, you know, sacrifice to Malik. <laughs> well, you, let's, you know? let's, let's keep putting it even further now into our experience. We live in nations that have embraced idolatry. We live in nations that have embraced incredible amounts of sin. And, 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 and we live in nations that are hurting God. And, and we all would admit, okay, Lord, if you really wanted to, you could probably could rain judgment on us and we'd all just deserve it. However, in his mercy... In his love and compassion, he has been incredibly long-suffering with us. And uh, that is a, another great characteristic of him. But as uh, Mordecai has mentioned, this book is a warning. We, as nations, we have to be careful. We can't keep poking and prodding God and not expecting him to bring the arrow and the hunger and the pestilence. Uh, and think, oh, we can get away with it. And that includes <laughs> us sitting here in Israel too. We have a very dysfunctional government, and that's our fault. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know what we're doing wrong, Mordecai, but we're doing something. <laughs> and, and at the very least, we should be repenting and crying over the injustices, at the very least. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you know how we need to pray? We need to be like Moshe, Moses. You know how he spoke to God and he convinced him, to, you know, not to kill all the Israelis. You know, like, oh, God, you know, you're right. But, you know, you, you took us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness. You just, if you ever commit uh, sin, just be like Moshe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and his song says it actually comes out to the same point because um, uh, he says, in verse 20, 26, I, I, I would have said I would have cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory had I not feared provocation by the enemy, right? Even yeah. God recognizes that, hey, if I go too far, guess whose name gets rubbed in the mud? They already rubbed my name in the mud. So I have to even, even I have to be careful that when I'm getting ready to judge them, <laughs> because um, I could be rubbing my own name in the mud. Uh, 
which yeah. is very, which is a, which is an incredible, interesting paradox. And uh, obviously, God is incredibly wise. Obviously, God is incredibly patient, and obviously, it's very kind, but also jealous. And so, when He is handing out His um, wrath, He's probably also incredibly careful because His yeah. name is 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 at stake. Hey, Aaron. Um, um- the whole thing about uh, judgment, it's interesting because in the book of uh, Revelation at the end, it's by, it's by, it's by city, actually. It's, it's the church in Corinth, the church in Sardis, so it's uh, Tiatira. So it's interesting. It's not, it's by, uh, by groups of, of communities, churches in the actual cities. Right. Well, except right. when you get to the real bloody part, which really excites people to not want to read Revelation. <laughs> <laughs> because they they're counting how many bodies really get done in and the comment i've always received is well is that including christians yeah and that mayhem and the destruction and uh yeah i mean if it, it, that's why they believe in the rapture so heavily yeah <laughs> it's it's get, a, get a bit of escapism yeah, yeah and, but revelation is really, a great really book because it, re- it does remind us the difference between prophecy and apocalypse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't a- believe it's Santa Claus, but I like the escape clause. A- 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. The ejector seat function that exists in our faith. Yeah. The, an apocalypse, a revelation, is an unveiling of something that you can't change. But a prophecy is something you can change. Because the prophets say, if you don't repent, then the Babylonians are coming. If you don't do this, then this comes. And, of course, some of the prophets actually did elicit a change. Of course, Jonah is a classic example. God's going to destroy the place. Oh, my God, let's repent. And then suddenly, bang, you go, wow, that's a bit. Because even in this, in this song, uh, in this song, yeah, um, God can say, I, 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 I might relent. And you go, hang on, how does that happen? And what does it mean for God to relent? But we'll have a, uh, a closer look, all right? So. Um, hey, Aaron, I have a quick question before we move forward. I was wondering if we could look at um, verse um, 21, 22. They yeah. have made me jealous with what is no God provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are low on me, with no people. I would provoke them to anger a foolish nation. So. Um, could, you know, measure for measure, could that have some uh, um, idea in Romans 11? Yes. 11. Um, so, jealousy, yes. Yeah, by the uh, Gentile. Yeah. So, measure for let's, measure there with the Gentiles. Let's remember that this song, that this, this song was so important for the Jewish people in the late Second Temple period, they actually had it on a separate piece of paper from the rest of the book. So um, probably even when Yeshua went to the temple, at least he probably would have heard someone sing this song and try and put it into national memory. And, um, and so, so would Paul. Paul would have heard it. And, and it wouldn't surprise me if, 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 he's, if he's thinking to apply this, this learning that, um, that I, will, I will provoke them to jealousy with the people who are no people. And, you know, and what does Paul say? What do we do? What do the Gentiles do, guys? Make the Jews jealous for Messiah. 
Go, go love the Messiah deeply. Go follow his Torah deeply. Go, go celebrate Passover in your little villages in the middle of nowhere. And then Jewish people will go, oh, my gosh, what are these Gentiles doing? Um, why are they doing that? You know, yeah, you, you know, know something go, great. Go talk to these people. One of my husband, one of our really good friends, they're, they're, um, um, they're Jewish and uh, from Sao Paulo. And it's interesting when he has a hard time or if he goes through depression, he'll come and t- they'll come and talk to us. And his wife will actually say, oh, please talk to my husband. He doesn't know that I'm talking to you guys. He didn't get any help from the synagogue or from his, his uh, rabbi, but he's actually asking us for, and I thought that was very interesting. And, um, nice. and he even came and he said, hey, can you tell me why in our religion, because he knows that we study the, uh, the Hebrew Bible, why in our religion there's so much blood and i thought wow it's so amazing um but going back to this whole thing even in brazil i know you had asked samson about in in africa and and, uh, nigeria and brazil also the whole thing about the uh you know this uh the replacement theology and, and Mordecai, you know, it's hard. I know, you know, when you're saying you're a Jew, you're a Jewish believer in Yeshua. And now, you know, we're Gentile believers in Yeshua that, that believe in the Hebrew Bible. We also get slack. It's amazing because it's like, who are you? What's your problem? You know, why do you uh, believe this? But, but again, Yeshua, I love what he says. The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you. So it is, Amazing how. Yep. All right. Thanks, Yvonne. Yeah, we're all in this together um, in, in, in many different ways, but we're all in this together. All right. So uh, verse uh, 27, had I not feared provocation by the enemy, the Lord is also very conscious to make sure that um, uh, his name is not diminished or, or rubbed in the mud or, or uh, made dishonorable by he, even his own actions, okay, uh, which is a very interesting thought, okay. Um, 28, for they are a nation void of counsel. There's no understanding in them. It's a, it's a, it's a usual rebuke that you find in the prophets, okay. It's nothing new. Often the best critics are yourselves, Okay, often the best people to have a good hard look at ourselves are ourselves. Okay, um, if they were wise, they would understand this, they would discern their latter end. And then you get this sort of sort of metaphors of you know, one chasing a thousand, uh, two putting ten thousand to flight. That, that God was with these people, so everyone kind of knew, and yet when the tables were turned, they were defeated just as quick. Okay, and um. Their rock had sold them. The Lord had given them up. That's how people, that's how people knew that Israel had fallen because the, the rock, the thing that was solid, the thing that was sure, the thing that was unmoving had indeed moved and taken his um, protection from the people. His face had somehow removed the blessing. Okay. And um, verse 31, for their rock is not as our rock, our enemies are by themselves. And then there's some, the, 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 it's a, sort of a comparison that God has with other gods, which are not gods. And uh, uh, their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, who are these people who, who, are, who are coming against uh, Israel? Well, they're not, they're not good, okay? They're poison. They're, 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 everything they do is evil, um, 
is is this not verse uh, 34 it is not this laid up in store with me sealed up in my treasuries vengeance is mine okay, and recompense for the time when the foot shall slip okay. the, though other nations act on god's behalf that's all that they're doing they're just acting on god's behalf they don't have any power in and and, and of themselves Vengeance is mine, says God, for the day of calamity is at hand. The doom comes swiftly. And uh, so all the people that will come against the Lord, even though this is a result of uh, a broken relationship, the blessing is the relationship gets restored. And then God once again fights for his people, which he will do, and we've all seen it. Aaron, something very interesting about just going a little bit before that, how he said, um, had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest, you know, lest uh, his name would be, his name would be desecrated. It's the same concept in Ezekiel when he's bringing them back in Ezekiel 36. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. So it's kind of like not so, maybe not so much by virtue of repentance, but maybe for virtue of the desecration of God's holy name. Yep. Um, what do you guys have for verse 36? Do you have? Um, 22 into 23, verse 22 to 23. That's 23, 23. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yes. That's uh, very similar. Very similar thought. Very similar uh, thinking. Um looking at the time, but wanting to keep, keep pushing on a little bit, if we can, uh, with uh, Deuteronomy. The Lord will vindicate or will enter into judgment with his people. And you think, okay, this is not good because we're going back into judgment and we know everything that we've done. However, as you mentioned before, Yvonne, there's no repentance here, yet suddenly the... The, the song changes, God will have compassion back on his servants. There's no explanation as to why. There's no sort of, oh, now they've turned from their idols, we've smashed them all, and now I will return. This is God's doing. God will again enter into judgment, but it will be a kind judgment. Judgment can have two facets to it, right? When you, when you go before a judge, guilty, not guilty. There are two sides. And... Um, and, and God will have compassion. And when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, then he will say, where are their gods, the rock which they took for refuge? God will still have the last laugh. He will still be able to turn around to the nations and say, what power do you have? What gods have you got? Okay, There are none. And um, who ate the fat of their sacrifices? Well, nobody. Okay, and who drank the wine of their drink offerings? I mean, there are how many religions in the world still give food offerings to stone idols? And every morning they take away the food and put on new ones, and they eat nothing, and yet they still believe that they're that they're true. Okay, let them rise up and help you. My husband's family, when we go back to Taiwan, we have to visit like the oldest, oldest, oldest grandfather, and we have to go up to like his uh, his. his cemetery on the cemetery it's on a high mountain like the higher you are and the ants like they all take food <laughs> and they offer yeah, they and then they take it back and they have it like for lunch we're like oh my gosh this is totally crazy <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's amazing that people still believe this stuff. Um, Shimshon, animism. People still give food offerings to gods in Nigeria? Absolutely. They still do that. Um, and in some places, um, you see it in the scripture. Um, I, I think it's Isaiah when he's talking about um, being at the junction. Um, where the roads, the two, three road crosses. You see the people will take a sacrifice and um, a kind of meal offering, a kind of um, minha and put it in the junction and leave it overnight and believing that the gods will come and have the dinner before the, the birthday breaks. You know, yeah. they, they do, do that. They do the junction The junction is actually... Yeah, they do sanctions, but yeah, a fork road, yeah, a fork road, yeah, like a fork road. Yeah, but they do it to do like, like if you want to do an evil work on somebody, then you would take a chicken or something and put it on a crossroad to do that. Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, okay, yeah, do you know about that too? They they do that here too, and um, but yeah, they still offer those kind of um sacrifices even to the gods and um things like that. You know, they still. And so verse thirty nine, which is where God sums it all up. See now that I, Ani, Ani, who I am he, there are no other gods. But there are none. Which means everything that's happened, whether it's been a blessing or a curse, all comes from the only God. God. And, and so God is going to totally say, I kill, I, I make a lie. I bring calamity. I bring peace. There, there's nobody else up here doing this stuff. Kill whatever chicken you like, you know. It's not going <laughs> to help nobody. It certainly ain't going to help the chicken. Okay? But, um, but, and it's, uh, it, I am he, Anihu. And, and later on in the prophets, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 48, that's where God says, Anihu, I am, who is he? Ani Rashon Verniachron, I am the first and I am the last. There is nobody else. But me, it's a very clear monotheistic statement. Moses, some of his last words before the people of Israel are, there is no other God. When you go into that land, you can get a blessing, you can get a curse. It'll come from the same guy. You can have his face or not his face. It's the same guy. You've got a relationship. There's only one relationship that you can have. So have the best relationship you possibly can. Because is there is the... Exclamation point to 39, found in 40, where he swears to himself, and I am forever. Yeah, I mean, who else is no, he no going to talk to? Do yes. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, he just Moses, swears to himself. Moses has had to appeal to heaven and earth because God is part of a covenant, right? And so you know, we have to do that. But now when God is the one talking, obviously he can't appeal to heaven and earth. He made it. He can't appeal to his creation without <laughs> for him. <laughs> okay. Um, so he kills, he makes alive, he wounds and he heals, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. The, bl- the blessings and the curses come from the same guy. So, and I something, hand, sorry? I'm sorry. I was just going to say something about how you said, I will, I will. And it's interesting because before um, Moses is talking in third person, he, 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 he. Then he switches to I, Ani, Ani, or he, I will make, I will take, I will, I will, um, I will wipe, I will, you know, it just, I will kill, I will make a life. It's just, it, it's interesting to switch to the first person, the intensity of that. Right. Yep. That's a good point. 
I'll have to make a note of that one. Yep. God switches, yeah, to first person and then talks as himself. And, uh, and, as, and he will swear by himself, for he lives forever. He has a flashing sword. His hand holds judgment. He takes vengeance, and he repays those who hate. Uh, the real haters are the ones who hate God. Um, I will make, and then, and then it gets very poetic with terms of um, arrows and swords and the, and the, and the blood of, of enemies, particularly the older ones. Um, a lot of this reference to, to uh, gray hair is because gray hair is supposed to reflect wisdom. Now, if someone's actually managed to get to 60 in the ancient world, you should have learned something by now, right? Um, <laughs> all, all, of the, all of the dumb things we did when we were 20, okay, well, we learned, but, but somehow, somehow they didn't. They managed to maintain their uh, rebellion. They've ma- ma- managed to maintain a lie. They've, they've, and, and God has a particular beef with them and say, okay, look, Really? You're that bad? You know, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming for you guys. And then, okay, we've just discussed this horrible um, uh, uh, acts, but God vindicates his name. And so the last part of the thing is actually a rejoicing side. Rejoice with him, heavens. Bow down, all you gods, even though they don't exist. For he avenges the blood of his children, which is who? Israel, Israel who had wandered, Israel that had gone into idolatry, Israel that had, in the blessing of, of success, had, had ended up in failure, is still so loved by God that he's going to uh, bring vengeance and, um, and avenge the, the evil that was done, which is incredible when you think about it because that's how much he loves us too. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he will look after his family, and he will, he will defend them. And he will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he will pay those who hate him. Okay, and it could be, who is the him? Well, the him could be Israel. The him could be God. There's lots of opportunities for who the him is. And then there's that link that when you talk about Israel, you also talk about a land. Israel is both a people and a land. And that is an interesting thought to give to a bunch of people who have never had a land that are about to go in and take possession of a land. And, um, and so the land itself will be cleansed. It is, in essence, a holy land. Now, we might, might not like the idea of holy places. Uh, we might not like the idea of holy buildings. Some people less so than, than others, um, but there is something about the land of Israel. That doesn't mean that other nations aren't, aren't special. He's already said in this song, every nation gets a border. Every nation gets a boundary. I've got everybody apportioned where they should be, and it's a great world. Okay? Anyone who likes to travel, I think we all like to travel. If, um, if there was only one spot on the planet that was the best, the only holiday destination in the world would be Israel. But it's not. I remember um, being here a couple of years ago, and we had the best tourism ever in one year. We had 4 million people come to Israel. And people went, whoa, this is fantastic. In that same year, 40 million people went to Paris. 
Okay, so let's keep it into perspective. Okay, it might be the Holy Land, <laughs> might be fantastic, but there are other spots that are pretty too. Anyone who's been to Canada goes, wow, these mountains are fantastic. They're beautiful. I unfortunately haven't been to Africa, but everybody who goes looks at it and just looks at the earth and says, this is incredible. And I don't know why I haven't been there to see it, but it they will, do. It will come soon. Yes, brother. Mm. Yep. Yeah. And, and whenever anybody goes to England, they drink the ale and they go, this is the best thing in, in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's what happened to me. But, they're all, but there is something about Israel. They are a people and they are a land. And God will cleanse both. He will make the people clean. He will take out their hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh. He will give them the spirit. His blood will wash them free. But at the same time, he will also redeem the land. And that's how this song ends. I mean, the last thing you would be singing in the temple is God will restore his land. That's a very interesting thought. Because they would also be turning around and going, well, um, we better make sure. Because remember, our sin infects the land. So if we want to partake in God's cleansing of the land, we then also have to look at uh, how our sin is infecting uh, the land. So verse 44, Moses comes. He has recited all these words of this song in the hearing of the people. This is his last thing. This is his big Cecil B. DeMille show, okay? The band is finally calming down. Everyone's now waiting for Moses to draw his last breath and keel over and die. But it says, he and Joshua, the son of Nun. So who else was he? He was already teaching his successor. Okay. It's like they're doing a duo, right? Not just Moses singing, it's Moses and, and Joshua. And then Moses had finished speaking to Israel. Take heart all the words which I am warning you today. Remember, prophecy is a warning. It doesn't have to come true. It's not the same as an, as a, as an apocalypse, as a revelation. Uh, the, 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 the prophetic is a, is a warning. Don't do, if you do this, this is what will happen. Although, because it's also so prophetic, it ends up happening. Okay, that I command you to, to, to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. Remember, we're instructed in Deuteronomy to teach our children. It actually behooves us as families, brothers and sisters, to really instruct our kids. And I know that some of us have got kids and some of us uh, uh, have not yet had kids, um, but those that do have kids, don't give up teaching them the faith. Don't, don't give up um, bringing them uh, the word or encouraging them uh, to do so. 47, for it is no empty word for you. Okay? The Bible is not stung. It's not just a book. It's more than a book. These are your very life. Isn't that incredible? These are words of life. That was some of the things that people said when they had, came to Yeshua. We know that you have the words of life. Okay? You know, um, when you speak, when you read, the, the way you read Bible, it becomes alive. So please say some more. And, uh, and that's what Moses is also saying to the people of Israel. You know, I'm done. I'm, I'm wrapping it up. I'm going to put the little dot on the last sentence, although there are no dots in ancient Hebrew. But when we finally do it, okay, this is not just dead scripture. These books are alive. They are meant to be breathed into. They are meant to be read, 
heard, internalized. They're meant to be discussed, uh, pulled apart. You know, all the tension that you find in the text is meant to be wrestled with again and again, generation to generation, and it's meant to be applied uh, to ourselves, as, as, as Moti has said. It's not just talking to a bunch of people who 5,000 years ago. Yeah, they're gone. Those Israelites are gone. But there's a new bunch. And as, they, as, as Paul says, the Commonwealth of Israel is a lot larger now. And uh, this is very life. And so by this word, you shall live long in the land and that you are going over to cross the Jordan to possess. Okay, so that's, those are his, uh, essentially, uh, his last song, although there is a series of blessings in the next chapter, okay, where uh, every tribe gets a blessing except for Simeon. And I cannot find a good commentary to figure out why. Okay, but um, uh, I've got some time still to to figure this out. Um, okay, so uh, yeah. um, Aaron, go for it. It's, it's interesting to note that in verse forty-four, yep. um, uh, the name of um, Joshua, um, his initial name was used um, in that place, Hosea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was what was used. If you look in the Hebrew, it's actually there who see it. And um, I, I don't know, because in my translation, it calls him Osea, yeah, not Joshua. And I don't know why it, it did. Um, after the name change, this other place was one of the only other time you see him being referred to as Hosea, the son of Yes, Nun. they do. Yeah. Um, you're you're absolutely right. In Hebrew, is is Hoshia, yeah, yeah, not Yehoshua, yeah, not Yehoshua. Um, because after the name change, he has always been called Yehoshua, Yehoshua. Then he comes here and he says Hosea. So I'm wondering why um, the nuances of having to to use this um, initial name, and um, of course, um, when it was being sent with the to the to, the, to discover the land as a spy um, when he came back. Um, the rabbi said that Moshe knew that the people were going to come up with the naval report, so he changed his name, that's um, Yehoshua, that God saves. So he changes from, he saves to God saves, so that God saved him from the influence of the um, people that brought the bad report. And, um, but here again, his name is Hosea. Yeah. That's um, then at yeah. the end, I think it's. Yeah. I, I actually no, go ahead, go ahead. I actually, my initial reaction, I don't, I don't know why the name change would be there, but I do have to have a look for it. Though. That's very interesting. Yeah, because the, um, the, the 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 books I read, I think it was a midrashim that talks about. Um, the influence of the um, spies they were going to influence it because the people did not ask. I mean, God did not ask them to go and reconnoiter the land. God asked them to go and take over the land. But they asked that Moses should send spies. Yep. And Moses now finally sent spies. But Moses called Joshua just before he sent the spies and said to him, okay, your name is no longer Joshua. Your name your name is no longer Hosea, but um, Yehoshia. So it means, which means... God saves, and from he saves. So um, mm-hmm. that is the reason why God saved him from the influence of the 
um, spice because the spice will have influenced him also like the other people and um, will have brought a bad report. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, that's the closest um, uh, reason that I have come across in all my studies. Then in 40, um, uh, okay, for that's 44, 46, um, you know, the, when, okay, in the 47, that's where it says that these words, um, that they are not a tribal thing, they are not a simple thing, but it is your life. And what he was referring to was in verse number 40, um, 46, was referring to in 46, but he said it in 47. He says that the word there is Torah, Torah Hazot, that this Torah, or the, which is interpreted most of the translation as this teaching, because Torah actually means teachings or instructions. Um, so this, uh, Moses is referring to the Torah itself. And that is my, that's one of my arguments against people that says that how uh, the Old Testament is done away with. See, God specifically puts it there that has Azot HaTorah is so important, it is your life. If, in fact, you can't afford to miss it because it's not a trifling matter for you. It is your life. When you obey it and when you live in it, through it you shall live long and endure in the land that you are to possess upon crossing the Jordan. So the Torah is the key to our survival on earth. That's um, our key. And it's the same God from Genesis to Revelation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. Hey, Aaron, uh, Steve has a comment in the, uh, he has a question in the okay. chat. Um, okay. So we, as the kingdom people and the churches, uh, one with Messiah, are people yet one body like Israel and land. That's a good thing. You see, Israel gets a certain land, the people of Israel, and all other nations get land. But the kingdom of heaven is not land. So, yes. So while we join the Commonwealth of Israel, that doesn't unfortunately mean that we can make Aliyah and, 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 and come to the land. Otherwise, there'd be about 50 million Gentiles who live here by about now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there is, there is that, that those themes track at the same time that Israel is a, a real people with a real land. And at the same time, the Commonwealth of Israel is a lot larger, which brings in uh, the Gentile movement. Um, and the Torah, which is, yes, given to Israel, is also given to the wider world. And yet large sections of the Torah can only be done in the land, which which creates a very interesting uh, a scenario both for Jews outside the land and for Gentiles, period, as, uh, as to what, what we can do. But I think that f- for us in our study for the last year that we've done, I think a lot of us have been able to take Deuteronomy and really apply it to our, our communities to this day, specifically the warnings and uh, that, that come in there. Okay, so um, uh, we will con- conclude it there. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, 
and blessings from the city of the king.